0: We could start with like some sad, apologetic music. Yeah, because
1: you know? this apology <laughs> is is uh, we it needs to happen.
0: Uh, I you guys, I goofed up. I had the sound settings on my mic real bad and I didn't check, and that's on me, so I just need to apologize for the sound quality.
1: You goofed. I goofed. But I goofed, and the first time we recorded this, we had to redo it again because I wasn't even recording.
0: That's right. So So, we're big goofballs, is what we're trying to say, and we're sorry.
1: Without further ado, here's our episode of Guardians of the Galaxy. Hey, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of Cinema Snorkel, the podcast where we dive beneath the surface of the themes and ideas in movies. I'm Casey. And I'm Carlin. And you know what? I've missed you guys. I've missed this.
0: I've missed you. Anyways, welcome back. We are here to explore the super fun movie, Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3. And maybe,
1: maybe if you open yourself up to it, there's a possibility. I don't think so, Quinn. Quill. Quill.
0: I don't think so. Well, what I'm trying to say Ah, is... Peter, you know this is an open line, right? What? We're listening to everything you're saying. And it is painful. So
1: Casey, what'd you like? Carlin, I liked so much of it. I think it was able to tell a fresh story. It leapt over the trap that faces a lot of sequels where they... Try to just replicate, like, the same vibes that made the original one successful. Yeah, vibe hunting. Like, remember this feeling that the movie gave you that you had watched? You know, it's like, nothing worse than that in a sequel. But instead, I think Guardians Volume 3 told a new story, and I Mm. appreciated that.
0: Yeah, I think the thing that I liked about it was that it took all of the characters and the journey that we've been with them on, and it landed the plane in a really significant and satisfying way, which... Hopefully they let that stand because sometimes they do the character resolution and then they have to undo it because they don't know what else to do with the character. But for this one, I'm hopeful. We're going to hopefully keep all this good, positive character development.
1: Right. They took what happened before seriously. We should do a list of movies that epically failed to do that. We need a list of movies that do that well, actually, because I think that'd be a shorter list. How about Wanda? Wanda. Why'd they have to mess up Wanda, okay? She goes through this, like, processing loss. Is she going to be okay with it? And then they make her just a genuine villain. How about Thor? He hits rock bottom. You know what I mean? But he forges a new axe. And then in Avengers Endgame... He's just a fat slob and that's his whole character. Or at
0: the very end when he abdicates the throne, like all his character development has been around becoming a good leader and a good ruler. And then at the very end, he just decides, "Ah, I can shirk responsibility and do my own thing. It's just
1: not really for me.
0: It's like, dude.
1: Yeah, you're you're preaching to the choir, man. I feel it. Yeah, (laughs) but not enough people agree, Carlin. We need to get mad. We, we need to get spicy. Uh, hey,
0: was there anything about this movie that you didn't like, dare I ask?
1: You know, Carlin, dare you ask? I think I have a clear answer. It's the fleshy organ planet.
0: Yeah, a little nauseating what that was. Horrific,
1: I think, is Horrific, the word I would use.
0: Grotesque, repugnant.
1: Gut-churning. Yeah, yeah
0: gurgling, Vile. <laughs>
1: But what I did like, Carlin, about that fleshy, weird planet was that Nathan Fillion makes an epic cameo with some quality humor. Oh, yeah, that was hilarious. He's like, hey, you got that brand new fuselizer core, which will just rip your spine right out. You know what I'm talking about? And the guy's like, "Uh uh-huh, uh-huh. He's like, really? Because I just made that up. (laughs) He's like roasting his underlings. Yeah. Then he walks into the room with the guardians of the galaxy who are all kind of idiots. Like they flush their spacesuits out the, the window, which is just part of the guardians charm is like, they really are just a bunch of dinguses. But then Peter Quill does the same thing to him where he's like talking about stuff. And it's clear that the guy has no idea what he's talking about, but he's going to go along with it. Cause it's like, oh yeah, you got an idiot subordinate. I have one of those too. You know what I mean? Like guys like us understand. They're like, oh yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, I mean, totally. You guys seem cool. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, that was
0: nicely played Marvel. That was great. Quality. Quality. Filmmaking.
1: What else, Carlin? What else did you like about Guardians of the Galaxy Volume Three?
0: I've got a question for you. It's silly or substantial. Okay. When Groot says, I love you guys, what'd
1: you think of that? At the very, at the end, very end. At the very end. Yeah. Ah, oh, Carlin, when I watched it, I was like, no, that felt silly. I gotta be honest. It felt silly. It was like a cheaper. It felt moment, like they were th- like they just threw away throwing the audience. A bone undoing the exactly what we said undoing the character development of the whole franchise for Groot.
0: will you allow me to change your mind on this i mean i would love
1: that i would love that but i don't see how you sit can. back sit so back please, and listen give it a shot
0: okay so groot this whole time he's got this kind of droid speak thing where the people around him know what he's saying but we the audience are left to interpret based on people's reactions right and this was kind of brought to a new level of understanding because Gamora, in the last movie, can do Groot speak. She knows what he's saying. Right. But at the beginning of this one, she's like her old self who hasn't, hasn't built up relationship with the Guardians, and she reverts back to not being able to hear him. She just thinks he's only saying, I am Groot, right? But then by the end of this movie, she has gone on a long and... Friendship kindling journey with them. And by the end, oh, she can understand what he's saying. Man. Here's the theory We, the audience, have now spent enough time with the Guardians so that when we hear Groot speak, we hear what he's saying and not just I am Groot. Oh,
1: anymore. man. Did that change your mind? Consider my mind heckin' change. Substantial. You that's, a, that's a 180 from Casey. That you, is substantial. When t- you say these words, I was wrong. I I wasn't completely right. I, I, why don't you just say it, just say it quick. uh, I was so right that I could see where the context clues would make it feel like I was wrong.
0: You are Nathan Fillion.
1: (laughs) All right. I was wrong. I was wrong. You were right. You're the host. I'm the co-host.
0: Okay. That's exactly right. And I give the summaries.
1: Listen. I did notice that moment with Gamora. And it's almost like when you can understand him, then you're a guardian of the galaxy. Oh,
0: yeah. You know what I mean? Like, you're deputized.
1: Which, to be honest, I think is going to play into some themes that I'd love to get to a little bit later. But there's one
0: more moment that picturizes this. And then I think we should talk about the themes because it all does play in. And that's actually, this is why I think this movie was a win overall, is because a lot of the things that were sillier, Were substantial actually were substantial and they had continuity with the character development at the very end one of the last clip scenes we see rocket kind of leading the new guardians right like peter's retired temporarily question mark and they're all calmly sitting around and chatting about what's their favorite song and we see for the first time Rocket, like, the whole time he he and Quill have been kind of fighting about who's the leader of the group. And Rocket's, like, unhinged, right? Like, he's do, he's a maniac. Like, he's collecting weapons and he's just, like, you cannot control him. He's absolutely insane. But his version of the Guardians of the Galaxy when he's the leader is, like, st- they're they're all civilized and quiet and peaceable and just like so tame.
1: Yeah. So are they just saying, you're talking about the very end when they're kind of sitting on that desert planet, like before the, mm-hmm. the enemies pop up that herd of wildebeest or whatever. Is the point just that Rocket's a better leader than Quill? I think
0: it's partially that, but it's also that Rocket has gone through character growth and he's a different person than mm. he was when we met him.
1: Mm. So, Carlin, let's ask our golden question, the question that is a great starting place for unpacking movies Mm. of all shapes and sizes. What is this film trying to say?
0: So I'll just throw a couple of my thoughts out there and then you pick your poison and we'll dive deeper. Love it. The couple things that I heard reoccurring are things like no more running for rocket. He has a moment where he even says that I'm done running, uh, running from his past, running from trauma, whatever. Same thing with Peter. Um, same thing with Gamora. Really? A lot of them have this kind of theme. The other secondary theme I thought was uh, all life has value. Even animal life has value. Um, and then kind of along those two is accepting your nature. And I think that was especially pictured for uh, Rocket. He's been contesting the point all along that he's a raccoon. He gets all... Uh, testy. He gets all chafed every time somebody says that. Yeah, testy. Chafed. Chaffed?
1: Chapped. He gets chapped. chapped. He's a little chapped.
0: But then in the end, he, like, comes back and sees the little baby raccoons. He remembers his childhood. And then you see, uh, the the label on the cage that he was born in, and it
1: says
0: Raccoon. He is a Raccoon. So, anyways, and then I think there's kind of this meta theme, um, that kind of ties all the movies together, which is kind of the like we've talked about this before, how different heroes kind of have their reoccurring themes and motifs. Like for Spider-Man, it's great power comes with responsibility for batman it's you know uh justice in a corrupt society yes for guardians of the galaxy i would kind of guess that it's like a band of misfits right um that all get collected together they each are broken in a certain way and it's kind of about moving past trauma Mm. or like letting uh the life beat you up but you learn how to accept and grow um, and you do it as this ragtag family What are the themes that you pulled away from this? Do you have a list?
1: Well, I want to ask, I just want to hone in first on that Rocket Raccoon thing you pointed out where it's like accepting your nature. I think I was just going to ask the sillier significant about every time Rocket says, I'm not a raccoon. Like take the resolution of that aside. What do you think they mean by that every time he says it up to this point?
0: I always got the impression that he doesn't really know what a raccoon is, but he's, it's like one of those things that people always say like, oh, you look like someone I know. Um, and you're like, oh, I'm just sick of hearing that. Yeah, and he doesn't really know what a raccoon is. Knows he's not one. Like he's he's unique. There's nothing like
1: me. Well, Rocket is like the classic person with deep wounds who's developed a thick skin. He's a feeler. Uh huh. I think that line works for him because raccoons. I think your interpretation is that he doesn't know what it is. I think that's completely right. But when people use it, oh, you're a little raccoon. He always senses mm. cute and cuddly is what they mean by that. And so he's always rejecting, no, I'm not. I don't give a crap. You know, I like guns, shooting stuff, making money, blowing things up. People are always going to betray you. That's one thing I know. You know, like he's, he's had so many,
0: Yeah, uh,
1: he's a great character because he clashes with Quill. He clashes with even Groot because his wound says you can't trust anyone. They're always going to betray you in the end. That's a great like, interpretation. Yeah. Being a raccoon means defenselessness. And so he just rejects it.
0: What do you think it means in the light of him just rediscovering his past and his backstory? Uh,
1: I, loved, I loved Rockets. Everything he said after he woke up from the coma. He's the one who says we got to protect all these animals.
0: Right. He goes back for them.
1: Right. He kind of stops with the I'm too tough to feel anything act and just mm. lets himself feel because he's found catharsis, actually, that he's there to help. He's a guardian of the galaxy. Mm. His job is to help. He is a raccoon. And yeah. that's beautiful.
0: Let's talk about those, those really adorable and freaky looking uh, Sid creations yeah. that have the most pathetically,
1: like, cutesy names. Oh, man. And, and and every time they say, isn't it nice to have friends? You're like, oh, they're going to eat it. Like, they, there's no way they live. Hi, friend. We're just pure
0: and innocent, even though we look like the worst nightmare of your childhood mm. So, in some ways, uh, like, Rocket is never betrayed, right? Am I wrong in this? I guess he's betrayed by the evolutionary. Yes.
1: He thought the high evolutionary evolutionary was their creator and that he was good. And he was wrong. Yeah. He was their creator and he was evil.
0: uh, He's making a a paradise for them to all escape to, and then he ends up just killing them. I mean, it was a little simple.
1: Um, I didn't feel like it was simple. They are saying something about like, this has like demented Island of Misfit Toys vibes, where at first you're shocked and horrified by, you know, what the high evolutionary has created. You're tempted to just be like, these are all the bad guy. But actually, yeah, yeah, there's something you're you're forced to look beyond your initial impressions of these beings. And find their humanity. And then they really push it when... Do you remember when
0: that really... Like, we you thought the otter was scary or the bunny was scary. Yeah. And then that weird pink lobby guy kind of hobbles out. Oh, my gosh. And they're like, oh. And he's truly, like... Just absolutely disgusting. They love that.
1: They they both are committed to that message and they want to just shock and like have fun with it. Like, like, how far can we push this? Who's the one who opens the cage for him? Oh, it's Mantis. And she's like, ah, it's a monster. And he's like, hi there. Thank you. Here's what I boiled it down to, Carlin. Tell me what you think of these themes. Mm. One question is how do we find family what does it mean to be a family that feels like intrinsic to the guardian's formula right from the first one where they're in that police lineup and the guy goes what a bunch of a-holes you know you're like these are not the desirable heroes that you want uh and yet they kind of find each other and they they really are like the the band of misfits who get together peter quill's journey uh he goes on his mom dying, finding a surrogate yeah. father figure in Yondu, dealing with his right. narcissistic planet dad in the second one. Yeah. It's all about Weird. finding family.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And and sometimes like the blood family betrays him, but it's the found family that ends up sticking to him and really being his real family.
1: You know yeah. what I mean? That's a pretty straightforward element of the Guardian's uh formula and they and i think they find new ways to ask it in this one for example adam warlock he's the the gold yeah. guy who is a bad dude at first and uh, yeah. does bad stuff he like beats them all up does he kill anyone i can't remember
0: i don't think so i think he really tries smashes some buildings um, he does is it him is it his fault that rocket gets injured yes and that's what
1: drives the rest of the plot. Yeah, but no harm, no foul. Like Rocket lives, you know, so we don't hate Adam Warlock. Yeah. We understand where he's coming from.
0: And Adam saves Peter at the end. He goes out there and saves yeah. Peter. So he does, he redeems himself. They. He's offered a second chance by the misfits that have all been offered yes. second chances themselves. And he takes it and he he justifies their their. Chance giving.
1: I love even how they they show Drax's tenderness to the kids. Aww, so like, yeah. someone says it at some point, like Drax, you weren't just meant to be a destroyer. You were born to be a yeah. dad. He's got that dad energy. That got me
0: right in the feels. I know because he actually has from the beginning. Like that's what the first thing that endears you to him. He fills up and he's like this tank of a guy, but then he you find out his character motivation is that um, that one guy killed his wife and child. Yeah. And he's seeking revenge. And from that moment, you're like, oh, Drax. And I think I forgot about that until they call it out in him in this one. And I thought it was perfect. I thought they see that's them landing the plane on something they set up at the beginning. He's been ruled by this need for revenge this whole time. But it never quite it's never right. And then when you see him interacting with all those kids and you're like, oh, this is who he's meant to be.
1: So perfect.
0: I was going to ask you, uh, what do you think about Peter's character art? You talked a little bit about it a second ago, but how do you feel like they landed the plane for Peter?
1: That's a tough question, Carr. I, I mean, Peter Quill almost felt a little bit like a side character in this one. Probably the the re- realistic answer is I need to go back and watch it again and pay attention more, attention, more well, attention to Peter Quill than the people around him on that round.
0: Let me just remind you of this one conversation it might help you remember. So- uh, Mantis forces Drax to go tell Peter because she keeps saying, Oh, nobody listens to me when I talk, <laughs> which is kind of true. But she's like, Here, Drax, go say these exact words to Peter. And the words are something like, Peter, you've been jumping from lily pad to lily pad, but it's time you learn how to swim or something. Because mm-hmm. he's pining after old Gomorrah and he really wants new Gomorrah, who is old Gomorrah, but doesn't remember anything. Confusing. He was really wanting her to fall back in love with him. He knows it's possible because it's happened before, but it's like the, the circumstances are never quite right. And she knows that's what he wants, but she's just not that person anymore. Yeah. And when Mantis through Drax says that, he kind of has, he, he hears her. He really does. And he
1: goes, yeah, I, I think it's time I learned how to swim. Yeah, And that's why he goes back to his grandpa, uh, sort of yeah. on a personal journey of, of dealing with, The hurt and like, yeah, like dealing with whatever it is in him that uh, won't take responsibility and is kind of makes him the lovable rogue. I I think that's totally there. I think Peter's journey starts because he's just like sloshy drunk in the beginning. He's not there for Rocket because he's been drinking. He kind of has that little tiff with Rocket where he's like, no, don't drink my stuff or whatever. But then Rocket gets injured and Peter immediately snaps into, I'm going to protect my family mode his like final arc is like being a stable productive part of that family even even to the point of grieving Gamora like getting
0: over her yeah
1: he's kind of like I'm gonna just see you for who you are now I'm not gonna pine for the good old days I'm gonna love the people I have around me
0: which is the final step in his in processing the grief of of somebody Hmm. actually in his life dying yeah she's not the Gamora that he knew she's a totally different person
1: You know what, Carlin, that actually ties in with Infinity War. Because if you remember, it was his (laughs) refusal to let her go that made him act like an idiot and Mm, punch Thanos in the face right as they had him subdued and were pulling the glove off of his hand. Remember that moment? Peter Quill shows that he's acting like a child in that moment. But in this one, it seems like he's finally going like, okay, I can't always have it all my way. I'm allowed to want something, but I have to let you be you. And I can't just demand that you know things always go my way.
0: Yes, that's very true. And that's where we find him at the beginning of Thor: Love and Thunder as well, where he has gone through a little bit more grief journey than Thor has. Right. And is like, look, people die. Uh, like your first love is gone sometimes. Yeah. He's like, I know what that feels like. I just lost my Gamora. Yeah. Um, but you gotta you gotta be present for the people
1: around you, like the people that are presently dependent on yeah. you. Yeah. So I feel like Quill's journey centers around that theme of finding family. The other theme, Carlin, that stood out to me the most is is kind of another staple of Guardians, and we've alluded to it already, but it's struggling with our flaws versus the idea of perfection. So if being a Guardian of the Galaxy means accepting everyone, no matter what they look like, even if they're stupid, even if they're mean sometimes, even if they were like a ravager, remember that? Like, Like they've accepted even Yondu who was like a brutal bloodthirsty pirate who, you know, was going to let them kill Peter Quill and eat him, you know, or yeah. whatever. Like he, he always has that, like, I could, I could still have him meet you boy. You know, but then at the end it's like, even Yondu can be accepted as a legitimate father figure. Uh, yeah. Cause the guardians thing's all about, yeah. Casting that net wide and just loving people despite being misfits. Yeah. Yeah. I felt like the alternative to that is the bad guy in this one, the high evolutionary.
0: Hmm yeah say more
1: he's all about perfection right he's he is like playing with the lives of so many people like building them and then just destroying them and tampering with them all in his like bizarre mm. warped extra messed up version of what perfection is going to be
0: right and all his beta tests that he doesn't have a use for anymore even little baby rocket who gave him the key that he needed he's just going to toss him in the dumpster yes. like we're
1: done not even a thought for their humanity
0: yeah, that is literally the opposite line of the rest of the Guardians. What do you make of when Rocket says uh, the high evolutionary
1: didn't want to build anything new? He just didn't like the way things were. I'm kind of getting almost, Carlin, like satanic vibes from that. Ooh. Satan, and we. We're, I don't want to get into our, our third question, which is what does the Christian worldview have to say? But Guardians of the Galaxy is uh, living in a world shaped by Judeo-Christian values. And historically, Satan and even the idea of evil... You see this, for example, in Tolkien in his Sauron. Evil, evil, according to St. Augustine, is not its own thing. It's a a degradation of that which is good. And so Mm. evil can't actually create anything. It can only warp and twist good things that already exist. That's in the bloodstream Mm. of, of... judeo-christian civilization so you're saying
0: that's informing our worldview yes. probably for most people without even realizing it or acknowledging it. oh i it. think
1: so and and i think it definitely plays into guardians of the galaxy um uh even even some of their terminology around um around god like the high evolutionary says god doesn't exist that's why i stepped in someone says in the name of god mm-hmm. you have to stop doing what you're doing and that's mm-hmm. what his response is God doesn't exist. Mm -hmm. That's why I stepped in. That's a very satanic impulse. Maybe not the God doesn't exist part, but the, I'm going to do what God isn't doing for me right now, which is power and manipulation to make the world how I want it to be.
0: Yeah. I mean, that is the lie that the serpent told Eve in the garden, right? Yeah. Like God doesn't have
1: your best interest at mind. He's afraid of you reaching out and taking the power, whatever. Right. So it's, it's a little bit of a twist on that. It's like essentially someone just playing God. Mm-hmm. And we're and we're meant to rightly be like, that's horrifying. That's like grotesque on yeah. a massive scale. And true to the Guardians formula, if we're talking about things I don't always love, their gritty humor always finds a way of like kind of laughing at it and being like, oh my gosh. Like they want you to have that reaction and then be like, that's seriously messed up, bro. <laughs> you know, they're not actually like, I don't know, you can't take everything at face value or otherwise this movie would destroy you. You're meant to kind of be like, the world is a messed up, gross Like pretty disgusting, gnarly, bolted together, you know, scrap metal kind of place. And the question is then, I think this is what they're asking, what do we do about it? The Guardians Mm. say you should take unlovable things and or discarded things and treat them as lovable because there's some humanity in everybody.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Because life is sacred.
1: Yes. Yeah. Right. To your point. Even
0: animal life deserves to be protected. Even the most uh, fallen, grotesque, yes. like, inverted versions of people, like this weird pig cyborg. Yeah. Even people that choose evil again and again have something about them that's worth saving. Yes. And maybe we could reach it. If we only show them a little love and kindness, maybe we could reach that side of them and see a transformation.
1: Now, they're not always, like, true blue to that theme. For example, when they're in the humanoid ship that's, like, fleshy... They do just kind of start blasting people, like, left, right, and center. Lots of people get blasted. Peter Quill's like, no, no, don't. Oh, no, this isn't what I wanted. But they still, like, frizzle fry a whole bunch of people for no reason. Like, they just, they're trying to steal. It goes sideways, and they shoot them up. Yeah,
0: that's an inconsistency, isn't it?
1: It feels like they're wary of the trope of what they're trying to say, which is all life has value. And so they're just going to sully it a little bit, like – all the misfits yeah. have value. Yeah, everyone has value. But like those pretty, pretty perfect people in their pretty perfect put together society, like if they get their stuff like blown up a little bit, like that's fine.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's true. And the Guardians have that mindset amongst themselves as well. It's like, did you ever see um did you ever see that movie with uh James McAvoy, M. Night Shyamalan? yes Uh, shattered or split or whatever and in the end the super bad beast guy doesn't kill the girl and eat her because he sees she has scars on her arms and he goes you're broken too and so he spares her life because he's suffered and he sees kinship in that she's suffered but the pretty popular cheerleader girls they just die a horrible gruesome death and nobody really Care's too much because
1: they, you know, they've, they've had privilege their whole life. So. so we don't really feel super bad for them. Yeah. That's in the water. That's in the water as well. And I hate it. I don't like it car. And that movie, we should almost do a whole snorkel on that one. I felt like it's its premise was good, but it's the way they landed the plane was so irresponsible. Mm. They did both. Uh, yeah. Anyway, that's a whole side note, but I think they did it poorly on both accounts. They both stigmatized mental health by showing you like a literal Ugh. monster crawling up the side of the walls, and they were like, "That's what a split personality can be." You know, right?
0: Yeah, we're a little too fascinated with it to take it in a in a more look at him
1: crawl up the. Oh, he's gonna kill you. Okay, that's not serving people dealing with really issues very well. But then they, then they hop on the virtue train where they're like, but no, like, like if you were broken, then you understand like what this is. Yeah. You can't have your cake and eat it, too, and that's irresponsible. Sorry. Anyway, conversation bit, for another day.
0: A little bit. Well, but, and for this movie, jumping back, it is just inconsistency. Like, if they took their own line... Seriously, which I just want to say you can t- you have permission to do that. Like you're saying something worth saying. Don't
1: don't go back on it and you know, like don't be embarrassed for saying something worth saying. They want it to have that edge though. They don't want the guardians to be too shiny, but there's a there's a difference of style where you can have things stylistically not be shiny and like aesthetics, but then they kind of have yeah. to it feels like they just need to sully them morally a little bit. Just a little. And, and what they're trying to then say is, but that's okay, because they love and accept everyone. But not quite everyone. <laughs> the classic example of this, Carlin, on the Guardian side is when Rocket doesn't kill the high evolutionary. And it's like, yeah. it's like why? Why? Why wouldn't you kill me? You know, it's like, and, and Rocket has a great line. He says, because I'm a freaking Guardian of the Galaxy. And he means it. But a second earlier, they're totally comfortable having us peel his face off. You know what I mean? It's like Gamora just like grabs his face and just peels it off. And it's like, oh my gosh. So for the audience, we're meant to be like, that's gruesome and fascinating. But like, I guess it's okay. He's the bad guy. But then they also want to be like, but we would never hurt you. We just peel your face off.
0: But then they jump away and let him die. Which arguably there's a difference between uh, letting someone die by the events that they started into motion.
1: Someone pointed out there might... There might be an Easter egg where they grab him and pull him off the ship. There might be that Easter egg. What, really? Yeah, someone, someone mentioned that to me. So we'll let our wonderful audience fact check us on that one. I can't, I can't say yeah, for sure us. which one they go with. But, but to be honest, Carr, boy, and this is a conversation for our third point. I don't think like the stance of not killing anyone is always right. I think, for example, mm. Hitler, you know, if he's in the middle of waging yeah. World War II, you know, there's a point where it's like, go ahead, go ahead he should he should be killed
0: someone deserves justice but it should he should be killed in a way that's not gratifying or like there's a way that that death happens in justice that's um like just yeah. not revenge-y right or like gratuitous
1: yes and so at the risk of being too heavy handed with this, I felt like they missed it a little bit, like they carved, they cut the edges off accidentally, like they were missing 20% of the the righteousness of their cause, because while they don't let him die, they okay, go ahead, they rescued this horrific, uh, sadistic mass murderer from his exploding ship. I'm not convinced that's the right thing to do but whatever they did it then they also mm-hmm. have the audience have a moment of a little gr- gratuitous violence and like a little satisfaction that this guy's getting his face peeled off like filmmakers kind of want you to have both of those
0: yeah and they're just they come from opposite perspectives they come from opposite
1: intuitions almost, but whatever. Their point I think that they're making is to be struggling with flaws. The world has flaws. It's messed up. There are rhino people selling meth to elephant people on the side of the street. You know, last time I checked, that's not a perfect world. And so what do we do with it? Well, the guardians say, do the best you can value all life, even the nitty gritty build a pirate base in nowhere even out of like a dead giant's head that's kind of gross but whatever like we're a refuge for all the misfit toys that's the good guys that's what good guys do yeah what do bad guys do they scrap it all and they start again like a sadistic mass murderer that's what the high evolutionary does they're
0: obsessed with quote-unquote perfection but they see it in their eyes and they're willing to trample people in order to get it
1: yes not only does the high evolutionary do this peter quill's Planet Dad does it in the second one. Yeah. And Ronan yeah. does it in the first one when he wants to obliterate Earth as like a sacrifice to his, oh, like, whatever pagan about that. conception of God or something like I can't remember the details, but the bad guys in Guardians are all about like world ending perfection.
0: Interesting. And the
1: good guys are all about scrappy, unorthodox value of every human life, or just every life. I think that's it in a nutshell. Carlin, there's one last theme I wanted to put out there that I noticed. Hmm. This one was subtler. I think, it, I think it's less about the character's journey and more about the ideas in the background, the set dressing. Mm. And it's, we've hinted at it, but it's that theme of God, nature, and, and sort of destiny and identity. Like mm. what gives living mm-hmm. things value? Mm-hmm. And I wanted to ask you a question. It's a silly or significant. Ask away. Lila the cyborg otter says, Yeah. there are the hands that made us. And then there are the hands that guide the hands. Oh,
0: yeah, I forgot about that.
1: Silly or significant?
0: Is there a third category that's sappy? Sappy or significant? Sappy, silly, or significant?
1: (laughs) As long as it starts with S, you can add a category.
0: (laughs) Okay. Uh... Uh, I'd have to remember the context a little bit better, but I guess supposedly, is this when they're in, um, they're in like- They're in like she's the like, heaven
1: kind of place. Yeah.
0: like Just like Harry Potter. Just like Harry where Potter. Rocket's like, can I go with you? And she's like, if you want, you can. And then he realizes,
1: no, I still have work to do. Well, yeah, but she says, but not yet. And she like sends him back. Oh, she sends him back.
0: Good for her. Uh, and then she says, they're the hands that made you- Reviled that the thought that the person that created him is a monster essentially. Who are the hands that guide the hands though in that line? It sounds to me like they're talking about God, but I I don't think that's probably in the
1: worldview of the filmmakers. What do you think she means? Yeah, no, I don't either. But I love that line. Come on, I think what Guardians Three does do. Because I think you're right. They don't really, they're not bringing God into this, but they do bring kind of an anti God into this. Like they kind of bring an accuser, a destroyer Mm. kind of creator. Um, Mm -hmm. And he gets like, he gets like right in their face and he says, You think you have some kind of worth outside of me? Mm. Silly or significant?
0: Mm. I mean, probably more significant than is intended. And, and now I think we're already talking about our Christian worldview, so we should just say we're doing
1: it. Well, kind of. Um, but, but hang on, hang on. Before we say what we think, what does Guardians think? I guess that's the question I want to get to as much as we can.
0: Well, that's what I'm saying is they're hitting on truth. And I can only say this from my Christian perspective. I think they are hitting on the truth of reality. They're bumping up against it. They sense that it's there, but they don't really have the framework to call it what it is. And that is that um, the high evolutionary didn't make raccoons and he didn't invent life and he didn't create goodness he only tampered with what was already there and if i was talking to rocket i would say your identity does not come from the traumas you've endured it comes from something that's given to you that no one can take away and no one it can be um it can be mutilated or marred but it can never be taken from hmm. you and that is that you have intrinsic worth as a creature and i would say it's because for God who loves you,
1: lovingly created you. Mm, Yeah. What do you think the filmmakers are trying to say? I just, I don't know. I'm actually just genuinely stumped by that one because that's the kind of line that you'd hear in a sermon. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Or just like a very true... Yeah, the hands I got, the hands. Grappling with anthropology. It's like, that's just dead on. They slip it in. So I feel like they intended it as set dressing, like just a sweet thing for her to say to rocket raccoon but it it kind of anchors it anchors their whole point that they're trying to make yeah i just so badly want there to be a unifying principle that they thought of that wasn't an accident because it feels Mm. like they are driven by the reality that what the high evolutionary is doing is wrong and screwed up and they have approximate answer in the way that the guardians value all life. And they are not afraid to use the idea of like a warped evil God as a villain. But it, I'm just like, I don't know. I want it to make more sense than maybe it does. Maybe I just need to give up because it just is not going to no, make that's, sense.
0: That's why I say, I mean, all truth is God's truth. And they think they're, they're bumping up against what is intrinsically written in our hearts but they don't have the framework to
1: call it what it is. They're anchored in some, like, heartwarming social values that they know conscientiously come from religion, but they're not fully on board with with, like, living into that fully. Yeah, so, like, what does a Christian worldview have to do with that first point that you brought up about like accepting your nature specifically about rocket raccoon grabbing all the little raccoonies and running for running from the ship like like what do you think what do you think christianity would say about that like coming to terms with who you are uh yeah
0: so rocket is running from he's he's denying this part of him that feels vulnerable and lovable and then he comes to accepting it and i just think That's something that a lot of people are missing, Um, you know, in today's world where you can change almost anything about yourself and decide what you are uh, and live into it. But God created you away. And there's something very healing about accepting what you are, even if you don't like it, you don't like the sound of it. It doesn't feel right. But for Rocket, he was running from something because he was wounded. and to accept to accept his true nature meant facing headlong into that pain and that's why he's running because we inherently run from what hurts us but what he needed to do was to go back and feel the pain um and for many people, that's why uh, counseling and therapy is often such a good idea yeah. because it's I- inviting yourself to go back to the thing that hurts you and deal with that and and allow the pain to soak in. And that is a good thing because, first of all, it's embracing reality. Uh, yeah. And when we run from reality, we bump into it. You know, it's like, I'm just going to walk through life with my eyes closed. Well, you're going to hit your shins on the, you know, on the doorframe. Yeah. Like, it doesn't work um you're going to hurt yourself and you're going to hurt other people that's why it's important to embrace reality but then secondly and if you're a christian you know this you've experienced it that when you when you go back to the pain you actually find comfort um i'm thinking of people who have had like uh really traumatic things happen to them in their childhood right and and it's easier for them to just to just live as if that didn't happen but that doesn't work that can be one of the most powerful and healing experiences is to realize the truth that Christ enters into our suffering with us. Yeah. And that there's a future of hope for you yeah. that what the bad things that happen to you will someday be fully restored and healed in heaven yeah. or in, in the life after this one. And that has the ability to turn upside down the things that the enemy meant for evil. God uses to give you a purpose and a hope and a future. Yeah. Like even Jesus endured torment on the cross, but but that torment was turned to joy. And it, for the joy set before him, he suffered those things. And then God raised him up yeah. to the heights of heaven, right? It, he turns our suffering into,
1: into rejoicing. I think a misperception people have about Christianity is that it's primarily all about moralizing your way through the pain, Mm -hmm. like, Hey, just suck it up. (laughs) Like, like do the right thing. You know, like that's enough of that sappy inner life, you know, just do the right thing from now on. You know, it's like that is so not Christianity. That's dead religion. Christianity starts with actually God caring about our hearts and caring about our wounds and caring about our tears and our grief. It's, it's a lot softer than people think. And yet I'm not going to deny that many Christians live into a kind of moralistic uh, moralistic sense of Christianity. They're afraid. They haven't dealt with their own inner wounds and their own inner propensities. They've just put a happy face over it. And so it's easy to encounter sort of moralism in the church. But, I, but the gospel at its heart is about heart transformation and healing, um, mm. which is so in line with the 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 very real positive goals of therapy.
0: What do you think about the theme about finding family? Like the guardians, you know, they find each other. What does the Christian worldview say?
1: Yeah, I mean, at a fundamental level, I think Christianity affirms our design as human beings is to find identity and relationship with other people. We're not Mm. we're not just out here to express Ourselves in a vacuum. We it's always in relationship with other people, and and family are the most important uh, people for doing that. Like who your family mm. tells you you are is the foundation on which you build the rest of your life, for better mm. or worse. Right in a broken world, mm. that's frequently for the worse. Uh, and so I love Guardians formula where they they actually um, they find value in relationship with each other in a really, I think, a surprisingly wholesome way, right? Mm. It's actually just through, through uh, like C.S. Lewis puts it, like 90% of life's real joy just comes from good, solid affection between people. It's not mm. sexualized. And mm. I think we are so starving for that. So I always love something that's pointing people back towards that fundamental truth. Um, the, the first relationship we need to find ourselves in is our relationship with our creator. So uh, that gets to the other point we we're talking yeah. about. So there, there's no sense in trying to just find it in relationship with other people. But in light of a world created by God where we know that this is how he made us, he actually delights in us relating with each other. And one of the most beautiful ways you can actually heal gaps often left by the death of family or imperfect childhood is through that that unconditional acceptance. The heart of that though, yeah. th- and this gets straight into that struggling with our flaws versus perfectionism. The gospel is designed to create a new family, a family born of redemption, because Christ has mm. grafted us into a brand new family that's actually thicker than blood, even. They say, you know the phrase yeah. uh, blood is thicker than water. Although, you know, the the
0: full version of that phrase is something like the blood of the covenant is thicker than the water of the womb. Yes.
1: Isn't that Which wild? Which actually
0: means the water of the womb being family and the blood of the covenant being
1: your comrades and arms. Isn't that wild? But People that have died with you in battle. Or the covenant meaning originally even like Christ's covenant, right? In a deeply Christian society where, oh, that, the blood of the covenant. where that phrase yeah. wow, would have yeah. originated. It actually does mean like religious camaraderie because you've all been grafted into Christ's extended family.
0: Dang. Yeah. Is it in, in Philippians that says there's no longer slave nor free, nor
1: Jew nor Greek male nor female, all are one in Christ Jesus. Yeah.
0: Every other identity that you have. And for that time period, those were the key identities, your gender, your socioeconomic status, and your um, religious slash ethnic identity. None of those are as important as your identity in Christ. Right.
1: That's actually a a very Judeo Christian idea to give to the world. Hmm. I just wrote an article on the resurgence of uh, paganism. So people like reviving sort of droidic practice and going out into nature, and they're looking for something with that. But, you know, the point that we made with the Colson Center is just. what they're looking for so because it's very inclusive. They're striving to make like a female friendly family inclusive, like come one, come all just be in nature. I'm like where you're getting that is actually a, a Christian impulse because Christianity huh. said there's, there's one God who made all people and all people can be reconciled to God through Jesus. It doesn't matter your culture. But like Droidic paganism, for example, would not have actually been on board with that for a lot of reasons or like Nordic paganism, right? They were actually like, well, we're going to raid you and pillage you if you're not of our tribe. And if you don't worship our, our gods, you know, like our gods are in our corner. They're not in yours. Christianity says there's one God overall and he's a just judge. Yeah. So all people are your brother, you know? Um, It's just interesting. You were Gentile. Yeah. That inclusive impulse is a Christian impulse. And a lot of people are surprised that. by that because it's not always done perfectly by today's Christians, right? It's ne- well, it's never been done perfectly by any group of Christians, but the idea is from Jesus. Yeah. I love that. So finding family and then struggling with flaws versus perfection. Carlin, my question to you is how do we resolve that 20% grittiness that they accidentally introduced in there, like trying to answer that question?
0: Yeah, I just laugh and roll my eyes. And I say sometimes when you have like a friend that's younger than you and they say something immature, you're just like, oh, okay,
1: (laughs) I love you. I love you anyways. I love Drax and Mantis's relationship. It's they are like such a brother, sister uh, vibe. Is is that the
0: vibe you're getting? I thought they were kind of leading up to a, a, a romantic vibe between them.
1: Well, remember Drax is like, ugh, you're hideous, ugh, like in the, uh, in the other ones, like, I felt like that was yeah. the MCU kind of resolving that for us. Like, this is not a romantic pair. They're like a brother or sister. I like it that way better. I think that's how they want it to be. I think that's what they're going for. Like, the whole Guardians franchise, now that we're talking about it, feels like a sibling, like sibling relationship. Like, everyone's, yeah. with the exception of Quill and Gamora, right? It's like, it's yeah. like a huge dysfunctional family where everyone's siblings.
0: Our mutual friend, Catherine, who's probably listening to this podcast. Thanks, Catherine. Um, But she said one time, siblings are the people who you like sit around the dinner table with and they'll just call you out on the stupid stuff you say. Like they have no problem embarrassing you for things you do wrong. And it teaches us. It teaches us how to be good humans.
1: (laughs) We need humans. (laughs) We need siblings. When Drax is like in Avengers Endgame, he's like, you, Quill, you are a boy. This is a man. (laughs) And he's like, did you just lower your voice to sound more impressive? That whole scene.
0: Calls you. you can't get away with anything with your siblings. They
1: will not let you. They're going to make fun of you. They're going to make fun of you. <laughs> Love it. And then, Carlin, finally, there's that huge theme of God, nature, and destiny. And I think what we can say is, is pretty straightforward. They developed kind of a satanic antihero who messes around with creation and plays God. And that's clearly wrong to do. Yeah. And it's not incidental that his name is the High Evolutionary, which to me suggests trying to achieve perfection in a a, a godless world without design, like using matter as silly putty because there's no telos to anything.
0: Well, would the the kind of the narrative around evolution is that it will produce the perfect thing. Right. I mean, I think if you know anything about science, then you know that's not actually true. Like sometimes evolution regresses.
1: Like most. Most genetic mutations are harmful. I think, I think a huge point for us, though, Carlin, is that evolution devoid of a creator is like one of, someone famous put it, uh, nature red in tooth and claw, right? Like, mm. like whole species mm. are going to get wiped out, and that's just a part of the evolutionary process. Why are you shedding tears about it, bro? It's brutalistic. It is. Yeah. It's amoral. It's, it's a moral world completely detached from the ideas of personhood, Um, like we can say a personhood, that word, but it's a social construct designed to help us. The reality is there is no purpose to anything. So Guardians, I think, is comfortable portraying an antihero that makes our skin crawl, literally. (laughs) 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 But what I wish they would do is ground it in, they don't need to tell a sermon, but I just, I think like, some context behind uh, Lila's line that there are hands that made us and then there are the hands that guide the hands. I think that line nails it, but I don't think they— You think they... they
0: can do that without being Christians?
1: It all depends on what they mean. It all depends on what they mean. I don't think they're punting to some other character within the MCU. Like, I don't think oh, they're going to produce like the— uh, You know, at the end of Loki, there's the that time guy Turner. who's like doing all that manipulation of time.
0: Yeah, the time-turner.
1: He ain't it. He ain't it. So I think, yeah, I think they're invoking God there. I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong. If I'm wrong, tell me in our comments.
0: I just don't think they can. I don't think you can reconcile. I think you can you can bump up against it. You can think of it as a nice greeting card sentiment. And it can be meaningful to you, but you're never gonna be able to acknowledge the truth of it
1: unless you acknowledge God as creator. Yeah. The good news is that God is creator and that there really are the hands that made us and the social and interpersonal forces that shape us for better or worse, but there are the hands that guide the hands. And that is true. At the end of the day, that's the truest thing about reality. Not only does that give us an impetus for valuing every life and bearing with people despite their flaws, that's the impetus for accepting other people as family as well and going on that whole journey.
0: Yahweh is a God who does not reject the ragtag misfits and underdogs. He collects them Yes. And he cherishes them. Love it. And he eventually restores them as well. So true. What'd you think of uh, Dog Days Are Over, Florence and the Machine as the last song? Yay or nay? Uh,
1: I love that song. Um, But I'm sad that we're working our way up to like modern hits. Like I wish they, I don't know. I I don't know. I just love the aesthetics of the 80s. Cause that makes sense for Peter Quill. That's the last music that he heard. Well, it
0: kind of progresses because he gets he has the Walkman, and then he gets the little uh, I don't know what it's called. I'm too young to know. But he gets another like MP3 player, and it has new music on it. So his music does
1: progress. Mm. Yeah, that's true.
0: Um, continuity. Continuity is everything.
1: To me, just the aesthetics of that first movie with 70s and 80s hits, like it just yeah. it just made it. it it's what made it a home run I understand that maybe Ooga they needed Chaka. to introduce new decades of music but yeah well please it's good to be back in the saddle good isn't to it? be back with Cinema Snorkel hey if you listeners ever want us to tackle a particular movie please feel free to message us on Instagram or oh, why not there's a Spotify feature or just feature. tell us in
0: person because
1: I think we know you all yeah basically right? mom what movie should we do next <laughs> Love you. <laughs> okay.
0: Uh, this has been fun. Hopefully, it won't be so long till next time.
1: We'll catch you next time on another episode of Cinema Simple. So-